Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $20 free on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. You know what it's about. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. Got a great show today, guys. I've got NFL Week 10 winners and losers. Two guys who I think should be in the NFL MVP discussion, but they have no shot at winning it. The most voted on Twitter poll question yet, guest Lance Glenn from 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports is on to talk college football and a whole lot more to get to, so let's crack a cold one and kick this off. All right, like I said, I got a lot of stuff I want to get to today, guys, but I wanted to touch on the new season of Hard Knocks, HBO Hard Knocks, the end season with the Arizona Cardinals just started recently. I just watched the first episode. I really like that they've highlighted Buda Baker because this is a guy that has been a really, really good player and he's just gone really unnoticed as far as nationally speaking. You don't hear a lot of people talk about just how good of a player Buda Baker is. I think it's really cool that HBO has been kind of highlighting him on this show. I still remember when this guy came out of high school. 2014, he was a four-star prospect, the highest-ranked player in the state of Washington. As you guys know, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so was fully aware of this guy coming out of high school and just how good he was. He originally committed to Oregon, then he decommitted, decided to stay home and go to Washington, but just nobody talks about how good this guy has been. He's a four four-time Pro Bowler, and a three-time All-Pro player. I mean, he's a big, big-time safety in the NFL, and it's just really cool to see him get some love on there. But my takeaways from this first episode, watching Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, just really paying attention to the way these guys act behind the scenes, kind of getting the glimpse behind the scenes and how they're acting at practice and after these games. Look, you guys already know, I'm not a fan of either one of these guys. I haven't been for a while now, but nothing I've seen from this show makes me feel any better about these guys going forward. Kingsbury just comes off as a guy who's more worried about his look than he is about winning games. There's just something about him that just feels off. He just feels phony when he's in there, you know, telling the guys, trying to give, you know, trying to fire the guys up with the rah-rah coach speak. It just seems so fake and so forced. I don't know. I just, I just don't get a good vibe from this guy at all. And the body language and just overall demeanor that you see from Kyler Murray is really alarming. I mean, there's been reports for a while now that this guy lacks leadership, but man, it really stands out when you watch Hard Knocks because nothing about this guy and the way he acts and the way he behaves 
in the practice facility and around his teammates. Just nothing about it says franchise quarterback. The only thing about him that says franchise quarterback is his skill set. But we know quarterback is way more than your skill set. It's a leadership position. It's a it's a position that's played more above the shoulders than anywhere else. And I just really question if this guy has it. The Cardinals have been terrible this year. We've talked about them on the show. It's a team that just lacks toughness. They just lack that grit, that fire. There's just something missing from this team. And I think it really starts with Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. All right, but like I said in the intro, guys, I've got NFL Week 10 winners and losers. Let's start with the winners. Jeff Saturday. Man, last week I said on this show, I said how bizarre that this hire was. I mean, it felt like they were tanking. It felt like an obvious tank job. I talked about it on this show. It was the title of the episode is Are the Colts Tanking? I mean, when we talked about the Colts, it just felt like this franchise was completely coming unraveled. But look, I've got to give Jeff Saturday a lot of credit here. Jeff Saturday just became the first NFL head coach without any NFL or college football coaching experience since before the AFL-NFL merger in 1970. That's how crazy this hire was. This was a guy who was working at ESPN a week ago. But look, when you watched this game versus the Raiders, the team looked pretty sharp. They really did. They looked like a team that was well-prepared, ready to play. I thought they had a good game plan. He didn't botch any in-game decisions that you might expect from an inexperienced head coach. I mean, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's really pretty incredible what this guy did, considering he wasn't even in the Colts facility a week ago. My next winner from Week 10, Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel. Look, I've got to admit, guys, I was dead wrong about this hire. I didn't like the hire when it happened. I questioned it right here on this show. I questioned his experience. I questioned the way that he acted with the media and some of the things that he said to the media and just kind of his overall demeanor. But look, he's been awesome. There's no way around it. Mike McDaniel has been absolutely awesome for the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are 7-3. and three. They're in first place in the AFC East. This guy is pushing all the right buttons right now. He's a great play designer. He's a great play caller. He has unlocked Tua's potential, and this team is just playing lights out right now, and he is a big reason why. Maybe the biggest winner in the NFL in Week 10 was the NFL in Germany. First ever regular season NFL game in Germany. This was a massive success. Three million ticket requests to go to this game. 70,000 people in the stadium. It's a soccer stadium. They packed the place. The fans were incredible. I mean, the fans for this game were incredible. They cheered after every single snap. Late in the fourth quarter, the entire crowd sang John Denver's Take me home country roads. If you guys didn't watch the game or if you haven't seen the highlights or, or go to YouTube and watch the video, it was seriously pretty awesome. I mean, 70,000 German fans singing in unison, John Denver, take me home country roads. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It was really Really cool. 10 minutes after the game had ended, the fans were still in their seats. I'm not even kidding. 10 minutes the game's over and nobody wanted to leave. That's how big this was. That's how big this moment was for these fans and just how much passion they have for our game is really incredible. Tom Brady, after the game, called it, quote, one of the great football experiences 
I've ever had. Really, really cool scene in Germany on Sunday. All right, time to get to the Week 10 losers. Got to start with Dallas head coach Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy returns to Lambeau Field. Four years ago, he was fired by the Packers, as we know. This was kind of his chance to get a little bit of payback, a little revenge game for the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy. But in overtime, this kind of became the story here because he passed on a 53-yard field goal attempt. He instead went for it on fourth and three, incomplete pass. It was really not even a very good play call, but that's another thing. What happened was when they when they went for it there, it set up Green Bay with pretty good field position. They drove down and got the game-winning field goal just a few plays later. I didn't love the decision, but I get it. I understand why he went for it. I didn't think it was a terrible decision. I probably would have opted for the field goal, but for me, that's not the biggest storyline here. A lot of people are talking about that play, but Dallas is the better team here. Dallas came in here as the favorites, and they should have been favored for a reason. They blew a 28-14 lead in the fourth quarter to a team that had lost five straight games, a team that had been absolutely struggling, quite frankly, a team that they need to put away. If the Cowboys are really going to make some noise this year, these are the kind of teams that you need to put away. You need to beat the bad teams. Now, I get it. It's Aaron Rodgers. Nobody expected the Packers to be this bad. But regardless, you're the better team. You had a big lead, and you blew it, and the blame has to fall on Mike McCarthy. All right, I talked about Jeff Saturday being one of the winners. Well, this one might seem kind of obvious. One of my losers for Week 10 is Josh McDaniels. I mean, it just goes from bad to worse. The Colts fired their coach six days before they played the Raiders. They only had a few days to figure out things like who's going to call the plays, which quarterback is going to start. McDaniels just lost to a guy who was working at ESPN last week. And I just talked about Jeff Saturday. This guy has no coaching experience at all. He's never coached at any level. College pro, nothing. You get out coached by a guy who just comes off the street. I mean, this is really bad. I mean, things are really, really falling apart for the Raiders. I mean, this season has gone completely off the rails and into a ditch and now is sitting there burning in front of everybody. After the game, Derek Carr got emotional. He was talking to the media. You could tell he was fighting back some tears. He called out some teammates for not feeling the same way that he does. Look, I didn't like it. I don't I don't like calling out your teammates to the media. Now, I love the passion. I really do. I really love how much Derek Carr cares about this team, cares about the game, cares about winning. We all want our favorite athletes and, and sports players to care as much as Derek Carr does. I, I got no problem with that. The problem I have is bringing it to the media and telling the media that there's guys in the locker room that basically don't care as much as you do. Look, there's enough dysfunction on this team already. It's already a big enough mess. You don't need to throw a log on the fire by telling the media that you've got guys in the locker room that don't care enough. I talked about the NFL game in Germany and how it was a huge success. Well, the NFL's got to take some blame here on their NFL broadcast rules because the Vikings-Bills game was, quite frankly, the game of the year. This was an unbelievable game, but unfortunately for some of you out there, you didn't actually get to see the ending of this game because of the broadcast rules. Now, overtime for that game started around 125 Pacific Standard Time, 425 Eastern Standard Time. That's right around the time when the late window games kick off. I didn't realize this, but in a lot of the markets, Fox played their game of the week, as they call it. But in local markets, NFL broadcast rules state that the networks 
must show the entirety of their local games. So basically, a ton of fans missed out on one of the best endings to an NFL game that I've ever seen. And quite frankly, one of the best games, I mean, it was the game of the year, but it was just one of the best NFL games I've ever seen. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. I saw a tweet that someone said, flipping away from Bills, Vikings, and overtime to Cardinals, Rams should be a form of capital punishment. I thought that was absolutely hilarious, but it's a spot on take because the NFL has got to relook at this going forward because you cannot have a huge percentage of your fan base missing out on these big epic games like this. All right, I've got two guys that should be in the MVP discussion that quite frankly have no chance of winning it. And the reason they have zero shot of winning it is because no wide receiver has ever won the NFL MVP, but I think there's two wide receivers that need to be in the discussion. I'm going to start with Justin Jefferson. On Sunday, Next Gen Stats noted that nine of Jefferson's receptions had less than a 50% chance of being caught. That's how ridiculous this guy is. He's on pace for the first 2,000-yard season for a wide receiver in NFL history. He's elevated this offense and Kirk Cousins to new heights. He's one of the best players on one of the best teams in the NFL, and I think that warrants NFL MVP discussion. Now, the same could be said about Tyreek Hill. Look, Tua is having a breakout year. There's no doubt about it. I talked about Mike McDaniel. Tua's having a great year, but let's face it. It started when Hill arrived in Miami because, I I mean, hats off to Mike McDaniel. Don't get me wrong. But none of this is possible in Miami without Tyreek Hill. He is absolutely the straw that serves the drink in Miami. He's on pace for almost 2,000 yards. He's actually on pace for just over 1,900 yards receiving this year and almost 140 catches. I mean, these two guys are just having ridiculous, historic wide receiver seasons. The Dolphins are 7-3, and three, like I said earlier, and they're in first place in the AFC East, and they've got a win over the Bills already as well. Like I said, no wide receiver has ever won the award, but I think it's time to revisit that because these two guys absolutely deserve to be in that discussion. All right, the Twitter poll question of the week. Man, like I said in the intro, this one has got more votes than any Twitter poll question I've ever put out there. After the Monday night football game when the Eagles lost to the Commanders, I asked, are the Eagles overrated? 41% of you said yes. 59% said no. So pretty split there. I think most people think they're not overrated. They're a solid team. Over 188 votes and counting right now. Look, it's one loss. Are the Eagles really good? Yes. Is this one of the best rosters in the NFL? Yes, without a doubt. Now, have they played an easy schedule? Yes. They had a three-point win over Detroit, a three-point win over Arizona, They were in a four-point game in the fourth quarter versus Houston. I mean, these are three of the worst teams in the league. Now, they beat the Vikings, which is impressive. That's by far their best win, but it was against primetime Kirk Cousins. I mean, let's face it. That's not exactly when Cousins shines. Now, they beat Dallas, but with a backup quarterback. And on Monday night, they just lost to a bad commander's team with a losing record going into that game at home, no less. Now, are the Eagles going to be in the mix for sure? Are they going to be 
right there in the mix come playoff time for one of the best teams in the NFC. They're going to be in the mix for the one seed and a team that I think could reach the Super Bowl. I don't think that's crazy to think that this team has that kind of talent. But I think the 49ers, out of all the teams in the NFC, I actually think the 49ers could be the biggest threat to this Philly team in the NFC. Look, they can do everything that Washington does. Washington put out a blueprint here. They showed you a way that you can beat this team. The Niners can do all of those things, but at a much higher level. I said a little while ago, I said a couple weeks ago, watch out for the Niners. I think this is a team that is really going to start putting it together here. They've been a little inconsistent to start the year, but I think they're a team to watch out for. And I think the Eagles, like I said, I think they're a really, really good team. Overrated, underrated. I think it's fair to say maybe they were a little overrated considering pretty much everyone had them ranked as one of the three best teams in the league when I think in reality they're more like one of the five best teams in the league. So maybe slightly overrated, but in a pretty wide open NFC, they're going to be tough to beat. All right, we do it every week. Time for the college football week 11 helmet sticker. This one's going to go to LSU linebacker Harold Perkins Jr., For you guys that watch this game, LSU struggled on offense. They really had a hard time getting it going versus Arkansas. This was a really close game. Harold Perkins in the Tigers' defense was dominant. I mean, this guy is pretty much the sole reason the Tigers won this game. He only allowed four yards in pass coverage. He had seven quarterback pressures, six where he actually hit the quarterback. He had an LSU record four sacks in this game. Two forced fumbles. One was a game-sealing strip sack at the end of the game to put it away. He played inside linebacker, outside linebacker, and he lined up at nickel corner in this game. He had eight tackles, four tackles for a loss, one pass deflection. He was one of the highest-rated recruits coming out of high school. He was a top-10 guy in the nation coming out. He's a true freshman and he's absolutely one of the best players in the entire country, and it was on full display on Saturday. Man, this guy was a one-man wrecking crew for LSU. NFL Week 10 game ball is going to go to Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson. I just got done talking about how this guy 100% deserves to be in the MVP discussion. Last week's game just solidified it even further. Look, this guy has entered the conversation as possibly the best wide receiver in the entire NFL. Last Sunday, he had 10 catches. I told you that nine of them, just a minute ago, I said nine of those had a less than 50% chance of being caught. That's how good this guy is. He went for 197 yards and a touchdown in that game. We all saw the catch of the year. Some people were saying catch of the decade, catch of the century. Some people were straight saying, is it the best catch in NFL history? Not only did he have a monster game that that helped lead the Vikings to the win over the Bills, but he put up these numbers versus the top scoring defense in the entire NFL right now in the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Vikings defense made plays. No doubt about it. Dalvin Cook made plays. Kirk Cousins made some plays. It's a team game for sure, but the Vikings don't win this game without Jefferson. He's become completely unguardable. He's on pace, like I said earlier, to have the NFL's first 2,000-yard season. The guy was unreal in Week 10, and he gets the game ball. All right, a couple weeks ago, 
I put it out there and I said, look, guys, I have not done a very good job of promoting the mailbag in the past. But after doing so, you guys have responded a little bit here and I'd love to get more of these guys. So if you want to get your question in the mailbag, go to pintglassfootball.com, go to the contact page on there. I will see the question and I will get back to you or read it on the air. I absolutely promise. Right. This question is from Ryan in Virginia. He says he's a New York Giants fan. Has Daniel Jones done enough to be the Giants franchise quarterback going forward? Boy, that's a good question. I I got to look at it a couple different ways here. So right now, the Giants record and the way they've been playing this year, they're not going to have a good enough draft pick to go after a top quarterback in this class. And a big reason is because of how well Daniel Jones has played. Now, they denied his fifth-year option. So this was a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones. And right now, he's playing at a high level. I mean, is he putting up big monster stats? Is he you know, throwing for 300 yards a game? No, he's not. But Daniel Jones's biggest issue has been the turnovers and being able to stay healthy. Those are two things that he's been able to do this year. He's only got two picks through 10 weeks in the NFL. So he's taking care of the football. He had three game-winning drives in the first five weeks of the season. So he's making plays when it matters the most. Dayball, I, I love what Brian Dayball is doing, utilizing his athleticism and his legs. He's running more than he has in years past, picking up first downs with his legs, keeping drives alive. And like I said, he's staying on the field and he's taking care of the ball and he's playing winning football for the Giants right now. And that's what they've been doing is winning and surprising a lot of teams. I think there's no doubt that Jones is going to get a contract here with New York going forward. Now, is he going to get some monster contract, a Patrick Mahomes type of deal? No, of course not. But I think he's going to get a fair deal to be the guy moving forward. And I think he's good enough that if you build around him and continue to build around him, I think he can be a legit franchise quarterback, a top 10, top 12 type of quarterback in this league. I think he can become that type of player. They really, really need to get this guy a wide receiver. That's probably the biggest issue right now. They do not have a legit number one. I'm not even sure they have a legit number two. So come April, they've got to make some draft moves, and they've got to continue to build that O-line. It's gotten a little better. Some of these young guys are starting to come on, but that's no doubt about it where they need to address on this team is the wide receiver position and get this guy some more help because Dayball is starting to unlock something here, and Jones is playing his best football. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Excited to be joined by Lance Glenn, who's a national podcast producer for 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. Lance, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really uh, really appreciate you uh, inviting me, and I look forward to talking some college football with you. Yeah, I'm fired up, Lance. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're a host on one of the best college football podcasts out there, the College Football Daily for 24-7 Sports. Actually, you're on there with a former guest of ours, Brandon Marcello. You guys do such a great job on there. If you guys haven't checked out that podcast when you're done here, make sure to go over there and hit subscribe. It's a great listen. I'm excited to have you on. Really excited to talk some college football with you. 
Let's start with last Saturday, Lance. The Pac-12 took a major hit when Oregon lost to rival Washington and UCLA lost to Arizona. Let's start with Oregon, though. This was a crazy back-and-forth game. There was some questionable coaching decisions by Oregon in this one. They're out of the college football playoff conversation with this loss. So two-part question here. What were your takeaways from this game and big-picture thoughts on this program under first-year coach Dan Lanning? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was actually having this conversation earlier with someone today, and you look at Oregon and what could have been this week for the Ducks, right? Going up against Utah, what could have been for the Pac-12 as a whole, right? USC, UCLA this coming week, Oregon, Utah this coming week. Yet Oregon shoots itself in the foot. They lose, and like you said, their college football playoff hopes are, and, and however long or short you think those, those hopes were, uh, they've now officially come to an end. I've been impressed with Oregon this year uh, and the play of Bo Nix specifically. Coming over from Auburn, uh, you didn't know what to expect from Bo Nix. You knew Bo Nix at home was a player, but Bo Nix on the road always was going to be someone who struggled. But since he's come to a Kenny Dillingham and Dan Lanning offense in Eugene, he, he's really excelled and has really uh, elevated his play and, and, and helped the, the Bo Nix legacy, I guess you could say, uh, kind of come full circle. They, you got to give credit where credit is due to Washington, right? Michael Penix, 400 plus yards passing. Uh, they were able to get a hundred over a hundred yards on the ground. Uh, Jalen McMillan had himself a day with over 120 yards receiving. I don't know if it was more about what Oregon didn't do in that game. I think it was more about just what Washington did to really beat the Ducks at at, at you know Watson Stadium, a place that's so hard to win. At. It was a crazy atmosphere. Uh, we had another one of our colleagues, Josh Pate from 24-7 Sports, over there too. He he just loved the environment. So I think it's, again, less what Oregon didn't do and more what Washington did just to flat out beat the Ducks. It was a great game. I don't think Oregon really could have done much different, but Washington just on Saturday played a little bit better. And when you look at Dan Lanning and his time so far at Oregon, it, it's so interesting to to think about where Dan Lanning or what Dan Lanning would have done, I think at least. If he knew that Oregon or if he knew that USC and UCLA were going to be leaving the Pac-12 before he took the Oregon job. Now, would he still have taken the Oregon job if he knew that? We could talk hypotheticals all day long. Maybe he would have. Maybe he wouldn't have. But since he's gotten to Oregon, he's done a great job recruiting. Uh, Oregon right now paces the Pac-12 when it comes to their recruiting class, their 2023 class. They have a five-star Dante Moore, who we have as the number two quarterback in that class. They are, are fighting. Uh, right now for uh, some offensive linemen to protect him. They were able to get Josh Connolly in the 2022 class. Dan Lanning has done a great job recruiting offense. And of course, we know what he could do recruiting the defense. We saw the defense that he and Kirby Smart built at Georgia. So I think Dan Lanning has done a great job. But unfortunately for Oregon and for Dan Lanning, like I said before, would he have taken the job if USC and UCLA, if he knew USC and UCLA were going to leave the big leave for the Big Ten before he said yes? Because right now, Oregon is, is kind of just sitting on their hands waiting for something or waiting for more realignment to happen. We just don't know where the Ducks are ultimately going to end up. That's something we've talked about on this show. The big move, of course, this offseason was UCLA, USC making the move to the Big Ten coming up. And it really just sent shockwaves throughout college football. And it's made a lot of teams kind of wonder, what is the next domino to fall here? I think a lot of people are circling Oregon and actually Washington, for that matter, as well. 
have kind of been two teams that a lot of people have kind of linked to being possible additions to the Big Ten because they decide to continue their expansion out west. It makes a lot of sense. If I'm the Big Ten, if I'm Kevin Warren, I'm looking at this game on Saturday, this atmosphere, these two teams and the way they played, both being ranked teams. It was a big-time matchup. I'm looking at that game thinking, boy, this would be a lot of fun to add to Big Ten football. So that, that's that got to be intriguing for them and intriguing to see kind of how things go forward. Maybe they end up following USC and UCLA into the Big Ten. Now, I mentioned UCLA. Like I mentioned, they're also out of the college football playoff contention. Now, like you said, both these teams were a little bit on the outside looking in, but they were both alive for the college football playoff going into last weekend. Now their chances are both gone. They had a shocking loss to Arizona. But despite this loss, I think it's safe to say Chip Kelly seems to finally have the program heading in the right direction. And likewise, Jed Fish has really done a nice job getting Arizona going. It's a program that's struggled for years. What did you make of this game? And what are your thoughts on these two programs and where they're headed right now? Yeah, I think, and I'll start with Arizona because obviously they ended up uh, victorious, and what a win! And I think it's a it's a mix of for Jed Fish, both great recruiting uh, as well as the transfer portal. Right, Jaden Delora coming over from Washington State had himself a game: three hundred fifteen yards, two touchdowns. They they struggled at quarterback as we saw for a majority of last year, only winning one game. But Jaden Delora has come and has brought stability to that position. Uh, they have Noah Fafita behind him, a freshman that they brought in from what was a a, a great recruiting class at Arizona uh, in 2022. Tyro McMillan, or Tetaroa McMillan, I should say, was the jewel of that class, and he's really emerged um, as a freshman. So you got to give credit where credit is due to Arizona because, like you said, UCLA's playoff hopes going into the game still may have been a little bit of a long shot, but Arizona just squashed them, just straight squashed them. And it was a huge win for that program, a huge uh, stepping stone moment for that program. And again, credit where credit is due to Jed Fish, because I wasn't a huge fan of the hire when it was made. Obviously, we know Jed Fish's ties to the West Coast, uh, but he's turned it around uh, really quickly. And will Arizona make a bowl game? Probably not. Uh, they still have two opportunities to do so. They're four and six right now. But even if they finish four and eight or five and seven, it was a, a huge building block year uh, for the Wildcats. And then for UCLA, credit to Chip Kelly on this great season. I think he got insanely outcoached against Arizona. I've never been a big fan of Chip Kelly as a coach, even back to when he was at Oregon. Now, granted, what he was doing at Oregon when they were going to national titles and when they had Marcus Mariota, Jeremiah Masoli, you know, they were doing things that were out of the ordinary at the time. Now, all those things that are out of the ordinary are the new normal. I've never been a huge Chip Kelly fan myself. I think he got outcoached against Arizona. I'm not a fan of his really non-existent recruiting. Um, if you see UCLA's recruiting in the 24-7 sports rankings, they're, I think, close to 70th or 80th um, and one of the worst power fives when it comes to recruiting. He's big on building through the transfer portal. Zach Charbonnet, their running back, obviously transferring over from Michigan. Jake Bobo, uh, a transfer as well. Uh, they have Raekwon O'Neal on the le- at the left tackle spot. He was a transfer, so they're big on the transfer portal. I think he's done a good job in what was a make or break year for him. I think if he didn't have a very good year, the likelihood is that Chip Kelly would have been fired. But you got to look with UCLA long term. They now have to build a roster to get ready to go into the Big Ten. They struggle on both the offensive line. They're better on the defensive line. Uh, but again, those are all transfers. They don't have anyone really there long term. So they need to figure out how to build this roster to fit Big Ten standards. Or when they get to the Big Ten in 2024, when they're playing those Wisconsin, those Minnesota games in sub 30 degree weather, 
right in the middle of you know November, they're going to have a tough time if they don't format this roster to look a lot more like the Big Ten teams currently do. Yeah, that's a great point. I like what you said there about Arizona. The transfer of Jane Delora has been huge. He's really fun to watch. For for a team that isn't a national brand, a team that doesn't really get a lot of national attention, he is a really fun quarterback to watch, and I really do agree with you. I think Arizona's done a really nice job getting things going. You're also right about Chip Kelly, though. This is a guy that I think he was sitting on a make-or-break year for him big time. I think this had to be a year where they had a nice, successful year, and he showed something because there is going to be big question marks about this program going into the Big Ten and his coaching style, his recruiting style, and can it work because it's going to be, as we know, a different level of competition going into the Big Ten, and he's going to have to be able to bring in the guys that can compete at that level, and that is going to remain a big question mark for this program, and if he'll be the coach, by the time they make that move, that'll be really kind of fascinating to see because you're right. All the success he had at Oregon, which then led to him getting a job in the NFL, it was really all based on him just being ahead of the curve. He had that up-tempo yep, spread yep. offense that at the time was really innovative and very few teams were doing. It was really hard to defend, but now we know that it's really the norm in college football and so many teams do it that there's nothing really innovative about what he's doing nowadays. So I think that's a great point and it'll be really fascinating to see the kind of the long-term picture there with UCLA. Now I want to jump to the big 12 TCU had a big game against Texas. They take care of Texas in a game where they were actually a seven point underdog going into this game. TCU coach Sonny Dykes said afterwards, nobody expected this type of game. Now it was a hard fought game, a defensive game. What are your thoughts on TCU this year and the job that Sonny Dykes has done there? Sonny Dykes has been unbelievable. He took that TCU job and right now has the Horned Frogs. And I know there's some debate. Does TCU deserve to be in the playoff? Do they not deserve to be in the in the playoff? He right now has TCU. If they go undefeated, they will be in the college football playoff. I know what, what people are saying about Tennessee, about you know Georgia, about, uh, well, what if LSU wins the SEC? No, if, if TCU, I'm confident in saying if TCU goes undefeated, 13 to no, they will be in the college football playoff. Now they still have to win three games, two games in the regular season and the big 12 title game where they could potentially meet Texas again. Um, but you got to really appreciate what Sonny Dykes has done. He's a legend out there in Texas and he's taken this TCU program uh, from what it was last year with, with a lot of the same roster. And, and I think that's where you got to look at it, right? TCU. Sure. They had some changes here and there with personnel, but a lot of the, a lot of the roster, uh, on this TCU team is the same as last year. And yet they're 10 and 0 now, 7 and 0 in the Big 12 and pushing for a college football playoff appearance and the biggest thing that he's done is have Max Duggan become the recruit that we, or become the player that we all thought he was going to be when he was a recruit, right? Max Duggan is taking so much better care of the football. He's pushing the ball downfield. TCU obviously having a very good running game helps, but two interceptions on the season, that's it for Max Duggan. This is a player that struggled when it comes to turnovers freshman year 10 uh did a little bit better in 2020 but again covid season you never know exactly what was right or what was wrong with that year six seven last year and again only two this year and you got to remember this with, with max duggan he didn't start the year uh, as the starting quarterback chandler morris was the starting quarterback for uh, for tcu and he got hurt in the first game 
been the Max Duggan story since. So you got to give credit to Max Duggan. You got to give credit to Sonny Dykes, to offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, the brother of USC head coach Lincoln Riley. They've done a great job uh, with this TCU program with, again, a lot of the same roster as before. And as I said, if TCU goes undefeated, I don't care what Tennessee does. I don't care if LSU beats Georgia. TCU will be in the college football playoff, and they and they rightfully deserve it because in past years, they've been robbed. So uh, it would be nice for the Horned Frogs to get some love and to be in that Final Four. Yeah, I think you're right about all of it because I think you're right. If TCU goes undefeated, there's absolutely no way they can keep him out of the playoff. And I think you're right. There's no reason they should keep him out. This team has played tremendous. They've been playing such high-level football. And Sonny Dykes has just done an incredible job with what he's done with that program. And you touched on it. With a lot of the same players they had last year, he's really done an excellent job of kind of leaning into what his players do well and shaping his system around what these guys do at a high level and just has them playing such good football right now. They have been one of the best storylines in college football and a team that's a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be exciting to kind of see what they can do with the rest of the year because like you said, they've still got some work to do if they're going to get to that CFP. So let's stick with TCU because they've got Baylor this week on the road. Now Vegas doesn't seem as sold on this team as the guys making the rankings. They're only a two and a half point favorite over a six and four Baylor team. What should we be watching for in this matchup Saturday? Yeah, well, I I think with Baylor, right, Dave Aranda is a phenomenal coach. I know that uh, Baylor hasn't had the year uh, that they were hoping that a lot of people were expecting, especially after winning the Big 12 last year. But but Dave Aranda is a phenomenal coach, and you know that Dave Aranda is going to have this Baylor Bears team ready. And you also got to look at, at the losses they've had, right? They've all been against pretty good teams. I know they blew that one game to West Virginia earlier in the season, uh, but they lost to BYU at the time BYU was ranked. Very good BYU team. Oklahoma State, when Spencer Sanders was healthy, a very good Oklahoma State team, and a much different Oklahoma State team than what you're seeing right now. Plus, you got to look at that game. Oklahoma State obviously had a lot a chip on their shoulder to say the least after how close they came to winning the big 12 last year. And and then again, of course, losing to Kansas state and the Kansas state team uh, that is also very good in what has been a, a pretty competitive big 12 this year. So while Baylor has lost four games, really the only game that you could blame them for losing, so to speak, is that game at West Virginia earlier in the season. And like I said, Dave Aranda is a great coach. Uh, he's going to have this Baylor offense and Baylor defense ready. Blake Shapin, Blake Shapin, excuse me, uh, has been a step up from Gary Bohannon, who was the quarterback last year for Baylor. Um, he, he's helped lead that offense in, in, a, in a much better way. Uh, they have a good running back in Richard Reese. Um, they're a little thinner on receiver, so I don't think you'd have to worry too much of your TCU on getting beat over the top as often. You know, Gavin Holmes, Monterey Baldwin, but I don't think you have to worry too much about Baylor beating you over the top. Uh, if you're a TCU team with a, with a very good defense, but this is a Baylor offense that can move the ball. It's a Baylor defense that's going to be ready. Um, and I think if you're TCU, you just got to continue to play how you've played, right? Obviously, you're going into a harsh environment. It's not going to be an easy game uh, in the slightest, right? Especially when you play one of those Texas versus Texas sort of games. Uh, you know, whenever you play an in-state rival, uh, it's going to be a raucous atmosphere. But if you're TCU, you just got to continue to to run the ball. Hope Max Duggan uh, does a good job of, of, of limiting turnovers as he's done all season. And you got to continue to push the ball downfield. You know, TCU, they, I believe, and and I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that I'm right. They are first in the nation when it comes to plays of 30 yards or more. Uh, so if they can continue to get that big play, then that's, you know, going to do wonders in taking the Baylor crowd out of it, potentially getting a lead. And then once you take that crowd out of it, that home field advantage goes away. And I think that would bode well uh, for the Horned Frogs uh, in Waco on Saturday. 
Yeah, that's that's a great take by you. It's a great analysis of this game. I think the running game is going to be important in this one for TCU. I think the line of scrimmage is going to be something to watch and see if they can stay ahead of the chains, stay out of those third and long situations, and kind of control this game up front. I think I like their chances in this one, but I think this is going to be a close game. I think the spread is close for a reason. I think this is going to be a good matchup. The atmosphere, like you said, should be a lot of fun. It should be a great game to watch. I'm looking forward to that one. Now, We talked about UCLA falling out of the playoff contention, but they have a chance to play spoiler on Saturday versus rival USC, who is still fighting for their chance to make the college football playoff. Which team do you like in this game and why? I like USC. Um, I know, or I I heard that the game is sold out uh, at the Rose Bowl. I'm sure the crowd is going to be pretty much 50-50, I would think. I don't think, even if it is uh, UCLA in the majority, I don't think it would be a large majority when it comes to crowd uh, for that game. I know, obviously, USC is without uh, star running back Travis Dye, uh, who's out for the year, uh, the Oregon transfer. And, of course, that's a loss. But quarterback play, Caleb Williams, DTR. And, and I like how DTR has played this year, don't get me wrong, but Caleb Williams, in my mind, when he's eligible next season, will be the first pick at the draft. I mean, you don't get much better at quarterback in college football than Caleb Williams. Uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, I believe I read, said Jordan Addison will be 100% going into the game. Now, obviously, no one's 100% at this point of the season, but he's going to be a lot healthier than he's been over the past couple of weeks and uh, than he was when they played Colorado. With Jordan Addison healthier, uh, with Caleb Williams having the edge at quarterback, I know a lot of people like to point to USC's defense as being their big weakness, but I don't think it's as much of a burden as people make it out to be. It's obviously a very formidable defense. It's a defense that likes to take the ball away. If they're able to get some turnovers early, if they're able to potentially score a defensive touchdown or at least get better field position by the way the defense plays, that's going to go a long way, obviously short in the field. And when you give Caleb Williams a short field, he's going to make you pay for it. Uh, so I like USC. I think it'll be a very good game. I think it could can make an argument that it's going to be the biggest game uh, in the DTR, the Dorian Thompson Robinson era for UCLA. But even if it's true, uh, I like the Trojans. I like them to move to 10-1 and one on the season in Lincoln Riley's first year. Yeah, I think I'm with you. And I think for a lot of the same reasons, and you're right about Caleb Williams, man, this guy is absolutely awesome. I think if he was eligible, I think he'd be the first overall pick in this draft. I think he's been that good. And that's saying a lot considering guys like Bryce Young and uh, Stroud and some of these other high-level quarterbacks are going to be in this class. I think he'd have a legitimate case to be the first pick. And I think he will be when he does come out because you're right. The combination of arm talent, his mobility, just does so many things that you want to see at the next level of the quarterback position but DTR also having a great year the running game for UCLA I think is something to watch in this one can they get it going can they shorten the game can they get some long drives and maybe keep that explosive USC offense on the sidelines a little bit more. It'll be really fascinating to see. But I also agree with your take on USC's defense. I've been saying on this podcast a little bit now that I think that the storyline of USC's defense being awful and they can't stop anybody, I think that's been really overblown because you hit on it. This team has playmakers on that side of the ball. It's a little bit of a bend-don't-break defense, and they take the ball away a lot and make big plays in that regard. And I think a takeaway or two in this one could really flip it, like you said, setting up that USC offense with some short fields. That'll be something to watch for as well. It's going to be a lot of fun because you're right. The battle for L.A., this could be a very mixed crowd. I expect it to be, and it should be a lot of fun to watch on TV as well. And it's always a lot of fun when I get a guest like Lance Glenn on the show. Once again, he's a national podcast producer for 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. Lance, 
awesome stuff today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the invite, and I uh, hopefully look forward to coming on again soon. Yeah, we'll have to do it, Lance, for sure. That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.